everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. Syracuse sports make me drink. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is not only Dan Lyons, but Corey Krizan is also with us. Corey, how is it going? What's happening, boys? How are we living today? Super. Pretty good. Did we, uh, did we in March? Yeah, it, it, it is March. It, it is March, so I've heard. Um, I've also heard we're not sleeping until May. Is there some sort of... I'm not sure what the end of April really does for us here, but whatever. It's the, that's the come down. You need to really enjoy the like 24 days of post-college basketball bliss. Uh, yes, of course. For those not knowing what we're talking about, we were talking about John Rothstein for like the second or third straight time uh, <laughs> to start the episode, where Rothstein, instead of playing the hits, decided to introduce some new songs to the, uh, to the playlist, and nobody wants it. So now he's trying to tell you that, that, that you sleep in May, and that's not really, uh, it's not really jiving with, 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 his, with his brand. So I think we're all just going to ignore this version of Rothstein until the, uh, until the AI gets back on track. No, I kind of disagree with him. I think you could sleep in mid-April at the very least. But yeah, no. I, maybe like you, John, who's the father of a newborn, maybe you're not sleeping until May. But uh, yeah, I don't know about that one, Mr. Rothstein. It's just too. It's too close to this is March. Like I get what he's going for, but like <laughs> it's not least, that good. It's not that. Good. It's just too. It's too uh, like redundant, and he uses them kind of almost interchangeably now. And it's just you know stick with what you know. Play, play like you said. Play the hits. Now we're all in line for beer because no one wants to hear this. <laughs> it's a, a horrifying reality we live in with John Rothstein, among others. Um, speaking of media, uh, we have several different media things to talk about today. Uh, the first one being uh, ESPN's gaffe around uh, just posting the women's bracket hours beforehand, just for the hell of it. I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see to Corey first, who uh, who was most directly affected by this this entertaining instance um, where they basically just decided, nah, we don't need a show, and, and and just threw it up on the sidebar. Yeah, somebody decided it. It was a uh, either a graphics producer or a technical director that accidentally clicked the wrong button, whatever it was, but yeah, in case you missed it, the women's basketball selection show, we're recording this on Monday, was supposed to be tonight at 7 Eastern. Well, around 4.30 Eastern, some graphics person slipped up and posted the graphics. You know how ESPN runs on the side, on at least ESPN2 right now, I'm watching, uh, the brackets for each region on you know, every side in men's and women's, once the women's are revealed at least, and uh, somebody clicked in the women's on accident and screenshots on Twitter, it doesn't take long, and then, lo and behold, we have hashtag leaks flowing everywhere. So ESPN promptly moved the selection show from 7 p.m. to the top of the hour. They said, you know what, they're out there, let's just get it out of the way. They had a written statement that Maria Taylor read on air, and it was just... uh, it was a whole mess on that end, and then you guys caught me today hosting local radio, so I had to hurry up, and my co-host carried the uh, last hour of the show and as I scrambled to get some notes down. But, um, yeah, what a weird just circumstance that happened with the, uh, with the networks, with the network broadcasting the actual selection show. Yeah, I mean, we had a men's leak a couple years ago, but it was, from my memory, it was just, like, on Twitter, and it turned out that the leaker was correct, but it wasn't, like on ESPN, so 
Like, this one, I guess when it first came out, I wasn't sure if, like, maybe they accidentally put up, like, the most recent bracketology, which is, it could have been. And I'm pretty sure they were talking about the men's bracket, so it seems pretty likely that they just clipped whatever the wrong file name was or something. But as it turns out, it was the actual bracket, and they, like like Chris said, scrambled to, uh, to completely redo their programming for today, which was pretty entertaining. But uh, I guess ultimately, I mean, Syracuse fans probably don't mind. We got, a, I think, a pretty favorable draw. From uh, at least from from this side of things, not not knowing the team quite as uh, intimately as you do, Chris. You know, I look at the Syracuse draw in general, just from who they're playing in Syracuse, and it's not only favorable to them to reach the Sweet 16 at minimum, but even looking at that Sweet 16 matchup, which provisionally could be Oregon. Now they're the. the the Orange women's basketball team is the three seed in the Portland region. And for those that don't know, in women's college basketball, if you earn a one, two, three, or a four seed in your respective region, your school is hosting uh, the first two rounds of the tournament. So Syracuse being a three seed is hosting games in the Carrier Dome starting on Saturday. Uh, Syracuse plays Fordham, and then uh, South Dakota State plays Quinnipiac. Those two games are in Syracuse on Saturday, and then... Uh, the winner of Syracuse Fordham plays the winner of South Dakota State and Quinnipiac in Syracuse. Then after that, they go to the to the bigger regionals. Uh, so this is Portland. The Syracuse is in. And I think it's really interesting because if the Orange do get to the Sweet 16, which they're going to play two home games and they're going to be favored in both, then they could rematch with Oregon, who they lost to by two points in Eugene earlier this season. I believe it was the second week of games that they played during the season. So... It's a really intriguing bracket in the sense that th- their biggest competition, Oregon and Mississippi State, we know the Orange have seen them before this season. Uh, they played Mississippi State back in Las Vegas to start the season uh, towards the beginning. So it's interesting that they have familiarity there, and it's kind of rare that that happens, I think, especially with out-of-conference opponents and especially with being uh, uh, you know, seated below them just a little bit. Yeah, I think that's Sorry, a great... this is uh, obviously Corian with us. I was looking at Chris's <laughs> cross post and then said his name twice, so I realized hey. it as soon as I said it. <laughs> hey, that's okay. I, yeah, I get I get worse, believe me. Dan, you've now added to the list of media gaffes we'll be talking about. <laughs> it's barely a gaff. It's I a know. Christen is the last name. It's okay. In, in, in any case. Uh, yeah, Corey, I think you brought up some really good points there. I think Oregon in general, like... We could have really won that game. Oregon gets a little bit of a home game here. I mean, definitely a home game um, or two. Uh, Mississippi State's probably not exactly thrilled about that. Um, I'm thrilled. Mm-hmm. This is someone who dislikes UConn a- a- as an institution. Not, I don't really have a strong feeling about the women's basketball team in particular. Yeah, I, I think not seeing them on the one line is great. I think that Mississippi State, like you said, Corey, we faced them you know, less than two years ago. Uh, it wasn't exactly a super close game, but it wasn't a blowout either. Uh, Mississippi State's played in the last two women's national championship games for those who don't follow the sport too well. Either of those games are going to be a test. We might need a little bit of help if we want to get past the Sweet 16, but I'm uh, I'm pretty optimistic. I think this is a, a group that, that has the ability when they decide to play more inside and not entirely rely on the three ball um, and, and, and avoid foul trouble. Uh, this is a team that can really compete with just about anybody, save maybe the top three, maybe the top three teams in the country plus Louisville. It's going to be a weird shift because last year we saw the Orange get a ninth seed 
and they lost to Oklahoma State in the first round. Now they're a three seed. They were the fifth best team in the ACC, which is saying quite a bit because you look at Notre Dame defending national champs. You look at Louisville, top five team. Uh, you look at that conference in general, and you're just facing cream of the crop year-round in the ACC. Um, but when you go into tournament time, it gets a little interesting because Syracuse has been battle-tested all season. They've played, I believe it's 11 ranked opponents or 12 ranked opponents this season, including three or four or five top five matchups. So this is a team that is not only better than they were last season, not only deeper than they were last season, but they also have more experience under their belt. And I feel like going into a tournament like this, especially when you're in a region where the two seeds you're looking up at, you're familiar with to some degree. And yeah, Mississippi State is an Enrico Ogumbawale shot uh, miss away from winning a national championship last season. So I, I believe that if you're Syracuse, you got to be looking at this bracket and feeling confident about what's coming forward. Now, there are a couple of minor concerns to look at with the Orange. Number one, and I don't think this is as big a concern as it was at the time when the injury happened, but... Tiana Magakakia felt kind of awkward on her right knee um, in the ACC semis against Notre Dame, and she didn't return to the game. There was about eight or nine minutes left in the game, but um, Syracuse was getting blown out at that point. So I don't think it was too much of a concern, and we haven't heard anything about that lately. Number two, Emily Angsler. This is the one that I've, I've been keeping my, on, my eye on. Um, she didn't play in the ACC tournament, hadn't played since Feb- uh, end of February, February 25th against Notre Dame. And basically, Coach Q said she hasn't held up her end of the bargain as a student athlete. So, haven't heard any word yet on whether she's coming back, although it's likely that she does. But that's a that's a depth option that Coach Q uses in his front court um, that is pretty solid at her position and can run the floor well. And we all know in the NCAA tournament, men's or women's, if you have teams that can run fast and that can shoot, then you're in pretty good shape for, for some potential damage. So, that's another interesting scenario to keep your eye on. Yeah, I think what I enjoy about this team so much is that they're super deep, they can run, they play a fun, fast-paced style. Um, so all the things that the men's team does not do, they are <laughs> reasonably good defense sometimes. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, you know, correct that a little bit for the fact that the ACC in, in the women's game, just like it is the men's game, um, is, is the best conference in the country. I, I think, you know, just something else that I, I found interesting looking at the bracket. Syracuse played through South Dakota to get to the Final Four a few years ago. Now South Dakota State comes to Syracuse. Um, hopefully there's not some sort of trade-off situation between us and, and, uh, and STSU. I'll give somebody five points if they know South Dakota State's mascot without looking it up. There you go. Plus five, Dan. Yeah, I know that. I know that because my undergrad alma mater is Youngstown State, and South Dakota State's in our football conference. So I'm used to covering and seeing the uh, yellow jackrabbit jumping across my screen. They're in the uh, what Summit League, or they're they're in a small small conference. But anyway, um, I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that they do have so much depth now, especially in that front court. I mentioned Angsler should she play, but also, uh, Maiva Jaldi Tabdi, who I think is one of the more underrated players now in the ACC, uh, for an import from France, and you really saw her take over as, I don't want to say the sixth woman off the, you know, first person off the bench. I still think that was Isis Young's and uh, Kiara Lewis's position throughout the season, but Jaldi Tabdi has been great this season, up, up for ACC Freshman of the Year honors, and She's won awards this season. She's been very solid for the Orange. So, curious to see how Q uses her. It's going to be the usual suspects to start the game. Manga Kahia, Drummond, Cooper, Finkley, and Stroutmana. Digna Stroutmana has really elevated her game this season. 
and has worked as a stretch four, basically, been able to pop out and shoot a three when needed. So they're a dangerous team. You know, they've earned a top 16 and a top uh, rather 12 season seed for a reason. And, you know, they should be geared up to go for this uh, women's NCAA tournament. Yeah, I guess without digging too far into like the the whole bracket and, and acknowledging that we're definitely not as well versed, um, or at least on mine and Dan's end as, uh, as Corey is. Corey, some picks on your end, and then Dan and I can kind of add what we can we also uh very much appreciate that you know th- this is a team that is a lot of a lot of foreign imports and things like that uh rather than dan and i butchering every name uh, appreciate your efforts on that end as well thanks for that um you know looking at the whole thing it's it's hard to ignore these four number one seeds just off the surface baylor is big and they're strong and they could beat you up down low all they want 31 and one on the season Notre Dame defending national champs. We saw what they did to Syracuse in the uh, ACC semifinals. And quite honestly, every time the Irish have seen the Orange over the last couple of years, it hasn't gone well for Syracuse. Louisville, Jeff Walls has one of the best players in the country in Asia Durr. Bonafide WNBA prospect. And the Mississippi State, we mentioned them, familiarity with the Orange last season. They, you know, they were shot away from getting that national championship last season. And you know they're one of the staples in women's college basketball. I, I'm really... I'm really enamored by what what the seeding and what the competition committee really put forward in front of Syracuse, like I mentioned. Um, but it's so hard to just not think about a potential champion and to not gravitate towards one of these number one seeds winning it all. I mean, they all have depth. They all have speed. They all have size. They all have WNBA talent. They all have just players that can knock you in which way they want. And they could game plan for just about anything. Not saying Syracuse couldn't, but I feel like these players just these players on other teams just have this ability that they're well coached. They're all well coached, and not to say Syracuse isn't well coached because Coach Q is one of the best in the country at what he does, winning his coach in Syracuse women's basketball history too. But I just think that the the depth is a little bit stronger on these other teams than in Syracuse. So, like I said, it's hard to not see one of these number one seeds winning at all. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. Unfortunately, like it, it, it's not to say that the sport hasn't gotten deeper because I think it's gotten deeper, like all the way down, uh, so that you do have some interesting games uh, throughout the bracket. That said, there's still a little bit of a haves and haves not situation. So yeah, I, I think personally, I think the one two seed that maybe gets through. Uh, well, I'd say two could. I'd say Oregon is one of those because they get the virtual home games uh, for the second two rounds. I think the other is potentially UConn just because of their tournament experience. Obviously, Gino Ariama. Obviously, that program is, is, is a juggernaut in many ways. And, and Louisville is very, very good and, and, and has every opportunity to get to the Final Four. But, yeah, you know. I, I mean, UConn's cream of the crop in women's college basketball. It has been so for decades now. And, you know, you mentioned Oregon. They have. Probably, in my opinion, the number one overall pick in the WNBA draft when she comes out is Sabrina Inescu. And uh, she's a triple-double machine, you know, racks up triple-doubles, racks up more double-doubles. And if things go right, it could be Oregon-Syracuse in that Sweet 16. And I don't want to say that's a toss-up game because I feel like it being in Portland, then Oregon would be favored slightly over the orange. But, you know, whoever comes out of that, out of that right there between Oregon, Syracuse, if it's one of those two, not saying any of these dark horse, you know, South Dakota State is the six, Texas is the seven, not seeing either one of them could pull off an upset versus either Syracuse or Oregon. 
uh, or even Indiana as the 10 or Quinnipiac as the 11. You know, I think Syracuse gets past Fordham and Oregon handles Portland State. I don't have any dispute over that. But whichever of those two teams gets to the Elite Eight to face, assuming it's Mississippi State, then that's going to be a really intriguing matchup. One of the whole matchups to watch in this women's tournament. And just looking at that other side, Mississippi State's the one, and then Miami's the four. If somehow Miami squeaks in that Elite Eight, and so does Syracuse, that's a that's a that's an eyebrow raise right there. You know, Syracuse just handled Miami in the ACC Women's Tournament, and quite honestly, if that's the matchup that happens, then you got to be feel confident about that in the Elite Eight as an Orange fan. So that's that would be, I'd say, pretty ideal for Syracuse if Miami got out on that other side. Oh, of course, yeah. A- anybody but Mississippi State on that other side for sure, and, and obviously, right. you'd love to see Oregon. Uh, take a loss somewhere potentially. If I'm picking a Final Four, I'm going Baylor, Notre Dame, Oregon, and UConn. And I've got Baylor, Notre Dame in that championship. Dan, how about uh, how about on your end? You guys stole my plucky underdog pick of UConn at a new <laughs> I think these these crazy dark, kids dark might horse. be able to win a game. Um, Way a dark horse. It is crazy. They have not won a title since 2016. I know that's not that long ago, but for UConn women, like as a Connecticut cutter, that's insane. Like I remember the last time we had uh, a gap of uh, what could be three years. I guess 2010, 2013, according uh, to Wikipedia. But um, yeah, I will go with as someone who has just been beaten down by UConn all my life. Um, I will take them to beat Louisville out of uh, that region. Uh, I will go Notre Dame because I know they've been incredibly impressive this season. I'll go Cuse. I have no reason not to go the homer pick in the women's in the women's bracket. Uh, I was a little more realistic in the men's, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit here. And then I'll go Baylor uh, up top. And then I'll probably I'm gonna go Notre Dame over Baylor in the national title. You know, I'm looking at this, and it's almost it's really hard to not just go chalk with all four number ones in that final four. I I'm gonna go against it. That said, I'll go Baylor, Notre Dame, Louisville, those three one seeds, and then I'll take Oregon in the Portland region coming out of there just because I think, especially if they get that get to the Elite Eight, if Portland does against Mississippi State, it's a home game. Ian Eskew can light it up from wherever she chooses. They're deep. I, I, I'd take Oregon over uh, Mississippi State in that region. So I'll go those three number ones and then uh, Oregon. And then in the case of Baylor versus Oregon, Baylor too big, too strong. Baylor versus, I would Notre Dame-Louisville is a legendary matchup, uh, especially in the ACC, especially when you get into March. I'll take Notre Dame with their experience to set up Notre Dame versus Baylor. Flip a coin at that point. I'll take Notre Dame because they did it again. They did it last year, and they have virtually the same people back. They have five WNBA players on their roster, and they're they're loaded. So I'll take Notre Dame in this one uh, to win it all. There you have it. Uh, if you're filling out a bracket, and ESPN does have a bracket challenge if you'd like to. Those are probably your picks. Uh, I feel like most people are probably going to go chalk. So if you want to win your women's bracket, um, it's going to be you know some some advantages in the margins that you pick up with uh, with some random upsets or just finding that the hot team. So anyone anyone that wants to do a little bit more of that research, uh, that's really where you're going to find the the quote unquote fun. In, uh, in, in the women's bracket. Uh, to be honest, though, and we'll kind of use this as a little bit of a segue, it's probably where you're going to find the fun in the men's bracket this year. Dan and I have kind of been talking through the bracket for a while, and it's been a lot of chalk and a lot of, you know, statements that the, the top, you know, five to eight squads are, are, are really head and shoulders above everybody else. 
Um, I think, to be honest, maybe we should just kind of jump into that before halftime, and then I think we'll spend the second half talking a little bit more about Syracuse's path specifically, they can do. Uh, but first, I want to do a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll jump into brackets. And we're back. So looking at brackets, and uh, I, I know I haven't, I haven't had like extended conversations with either of you guys about, uh, about this this time around, but... Um, you guys want to start in the East? I'll give you a sec to pull it up if you haven't already. Uh, we don't have to reveal our own brackets. I know we're all in the uh, the Noons Magician uh, bracket challenge, but nonetheless, just uh, kind of talking through. Uh, Corey, I know you're not always on this segment, but Dan and I try not to dive into every single matchup and do try to like yeah. cut, cut to the chase where we can um, so that doesn't become an hour and a half long episode of just going through the brackets. Oh, trust me. I know it can get pretty. St- we tried to do. I did local radio today in Ohio, Youngstown, where I'm at, and uh, it took us everything to not just like pick every game. But <laughs> no, we basically just went elite eight down, and I I filled mine out earlier, and I think I have a pretty good idea of what I want to address. Uh, if we're looking in that East region, I think having Duke as the one in Virginia if Tech as the four is one thing that stands out to me. Um, Virginia Tech, as we know. He's a pretty formidable opponent to Duke. So, I, look, I'm not saying if there was a team that Duke's going to lose to, it's them. But, you know, that that's a pretty hefty 1-4 uh, matchup right there once it once it would get down to it in the uh, Sweet 16. And then Belmont's intriguing to me, too. After almost missing the tournament, Belmont versus Temple, that playing game for the 11th seed, Belmont shoots the lights out. You know, RPI, you know, all the analytics people had them ranked pretty high. They're, they they can make some noise. Like they would if they beat Temple, they would get six Maryland, and then the winner of three fourteen LSU and Yale. And I'm not saying Karma's coming to LSU, but them getting a three seed is just ridiculous to me. So that's that's what stood out to me in the East region. Dan and I were talking about LSU for quite a while this year, kind of as a dark horse, uh, free will Wade. I I think that I think that he's not coming back for this tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, Based on everything they've said, it's like yeah. pretty definite he's not coming back. Yeah, he's not coming back. So, so with that, uh, I I think Yale is a pretty good upset pick. I think it's also, and this is giving away some of my bracket strategy, but I don't think this is earth shattering. You know, you pick some upsets here and there. If you think a team's probably going to get knocked out in the next round anyway, to be honest, I, I'm all on the Belmont train. Right now, I think Belmont can probably get to the Sweet 16. I know Michigan State's been complaining a hell of a lot about their seeding, but honestly, I think like they're probably going to end up facing Minnesota in the second round. They're probably going to end up facing a team like Belmont in the or, or even Yale, for, for all we know, in the Sweet 16. Like Michigan State is a pretty solid line uh, ahead of that Elite Eight, so I guess if I'm, I'm giving away some of mine... I'll go Michigan State out of the bottom of this region. And uh, I, I think, you know... I think Robinson's return for, for Virginia Tech makes this a, a more interesting game, and I honestly think that his return in general uh, makes the Hokies probably the most dangerous four. But I, I think Duke manages to win that one, and I think they eke by Michigan State in a pretty ugly Elite Eight game that gets people a little nervous. But I, I, I got Duke coming out of here, with, with again, with Belmont being the kind of fun, feel-good story and, and extending the streak of uh, first four teams getting through to the Sweet 16. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but what percent of internet brackets do you think has duke going to the final four in some capacity 60 percent final four at least at least elite eight 60 percent probably maybe final four maybe i don't know 50 percent i i'm really curious to know how many brackets have just duke going as far as they want i mean most of the simulations have seen duke somewhere in like the 23 
percent range to get to like the final four like at minimum and i know like their championship odds are better than anybody else's so while while it's fun to pick the ups and we talked about this before on the show and dan and i talk about it every year like well it's fun to pick the upsets at the end of the day the same five to seven programs are usually going to be the ones meeting for that championship the ones winning it so like it, it's not a bad strategy to pick a team like Duke to win it all, and 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 no. this year if you're playing the numbers, like it's probably the only strategy. Well, I think I think it depends on on what your goal is. If you're trying to be the most accurate, I, I think Duke is a is a legitimate favorite, especially with how they've looked since Zion came back. But at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if this team got caught by someone just because they don't shoot the ball well at all. Um, they they beat uh, Florida State basically without having to rely on a three point shot. Um, they they didn't play a particularly great offense outside of Zion's uh, dominance against us. Uh, obviously, the UNC game was a classic, but um, I think Duke could definitely win it all. But it wouldn't shock me if they stumble in one of these matchups. And Vatek, like you said, like uh, you guys both said, obviously can be a very hot shooting team. They play tough defense. Um, I have Duke advancing out of this region, but. Uh, and I, I, I don't think this is the toughest region, especially for a number one overall. Um, that being said, I, I, I don't think Duke's like a lock, but I do think, I do think Duke's going to be the team that, that, you know, so many people picked that you might be better off trying to go against the rain if you're in a bracket challenge and are trying to, to actually like win it. That, uh, I, I, that being said, like if you want to take the Blue Devils, there, there's obviously no, uh, no fault in picking them. They are the most talented team, and that does win out pretty often. Um, I have them going out of this region. I have Michigan State uh, getting to the Elite Eight as well. I do have Belmont uh, going to the Sweet 16. I, I think the Will Wade uh, situation uh, and some other weird stuff going on with LSU is going to to hurt them. They haven't looked good since Will Wade left. Uh, they lost to Florida in the SEC title. I think they, they look pretty sloppy down the stretch of the season. Not the SEC title, the SEC tournament. Um, so I have them being upset in the round of 32, but then I have Duke and Michigan State and Duke. Uh, I think Duke will handle Michigan State pretty easily. I feel like a lot of people are going to go that route. So yeah, like Dan said, you know, you could go that and you're going to get probably going to get a lot of credit for it. But if a lot of people went that route, uh, it might be the things in the margins that win it for you. Um, we're going to look at the South here and then we're going to go for a little halftime. In the South, I know there's a lot of people talking about Gardner-Webb. Um, <laughs> Which, which, would, <laughs> yes. which would be the best um and really like if you wanted to if you wanted to see a fan base with a complex like never before virginia would would come undone a, a, as a fan base um if they managed to lose this game they won't mind you but um if they managed to will lose- they but will they i mean it would <laughs> it, it would take a herculean effort to blow this twice especially with hunter healthy um it's true i uh true. yeah I, i'd say go virginia i know a couple of people have raised some red flags on oklahoma too as a potential upset uh i think virginia gets through to the sweet 16 i think they're probably facing oregon i think you could see a bunch of upsets here too um i've got uc irvine winning i got oregon beating wisconsin uh st mary's could very well beat villanova but i think villanova is probably the easy sleeper pick in, in this region as the sixth seed i think tennessee looked kind of shaky towards the end of the year cincinnati's kind of iffy but they might actually be underseeded. um so I, I and then purdue I, I don't really know what to expect from them losing to the gophers a few times uh doesn't really speak too highly for their final four chances but a lot of people do have them going that far so i'll say my sweet 16 virginia over oregon nova over cincinnati and then i've got virginia headed to the final four over nova but really the the opposite w- would not surprise me in any way not only is cincinnati underseeded, but they also have a couple of de facto home games coming up should they advance they they're playing in columbus so that's right up the road quite literally 
and they will take Iowa, and they'll take Tennessee, assuming those go right. Not, not, not to sleep on Colgate, of course, our brethren in New York, in central New York. But Cincinnati is an intriguing seven to me. If, if there was a seven that could really make some noise and not to disrespect Wofford in any sort of way, I think it could be Cincinnati. Villanova-St. Mary's is such a standout matchup to me. It's the defending champs versus the team that just beat Gonzaga in their in their conference tournament. So that that 6-11 is tough to predict for me. Garner Webb, hey, if they can if this if this happens in Virginia again, that that whole state is going to come unhinged. I don't want it to happen, but I'm sometimes I like some organized. Why, why why don't you want it to happen? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, cuz I I know people in Virginia. I've seen them get affected by this. It just would not look good at all nah, for anybody fine. in Tell that me, program. No, then it would leave for UCLA, and then we'd be rid of that forever. Uh, and we'll lose anyway. Buzz to uh, to Texas A and M, and the Virginia yeah. will just collapse. Yeah, and then, anyway, and then, and then hello uh, to fourth place in the ACC. That's right. I think I think Oregon does beat Wisconsin as well. Um, but with all that kind of being said, I I think Virginia runs of to the Final Four here. I don't see Ole Miss or Oklahoma beating them. I don't see Oregon beating them. I don't see Kansas State beating them. Um, on that other side, I do have Tennessee beating Cincinnati, but and then getting to the Tennessee, getting to the Elite Eight. So I have a one-two there, Virginia versus Tennessee, and then I have Virginia going to the Final Four. I actually have Tennessee going. Uh, that was my one-bid flop when I was filling this out last night. I had UVA penciled in there, and I decided – to check my ACC bias, and I went with Tennessee. That being said, uh, obviously I think UVA can make the Final Four. Uh, just because they haven't yet doesn't mean they they will never. Um, unless they start their weapon, then they'll never they'll never do it. But uh, I have Tennessee over UVA. I went mostly chalk, but I, I think there are a lot of upsets you can talk yourself into. You guys brought up Oregon. I have UC Irvine in the first round. Nova St. Mary's I think is one of the toughest first round picks in the whole bracket. And at first, when I obviously St. Mary's played an amazing game against Gonzaga, I kind of figured they were going to get a little bit overrated based on that, but I'm looking at Ken Palm. He loves them. He has them up at number 31, just ahead of Cincinnati, uh, trouble spots ahead of us. So they might actually be some some value there, especially if Villanova resorts to or uh, reverts to its pre-national championship, uh, getting upset in the first or second round all the time ways. I did take Villanova ultimately, but I think that's a toss-up. But overall, I went mostly chalk, but I, I, I did go with Tennessee. I think their talent... Uh, would give Villanova or Virginia some trouble, and uh, I wanted to to not go with three ACC teams. Spoiler alert: I have a, another ACC team. We'll get into this later, but I had a very big problem with that at the beginning. My my original run through the you know the blind run through you usually do to start and like not worry about the upsets and things led led to four ACC teams. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I've since fixed that, but not by much. We'll talk about that in a few. Uh, first, a little bit of halftime. So whichever one of you want, guys wants to go first, what have you been drinking of late? Uh, I've had a decent amount. I, uh, let's see, I drank a decent amount during the EC tournament, so there's plenty to go around. Um, I was it, it, at a beer authority in New York, which is the, the official alumni bar for Syracuse for the EC games. Um, they had had a Captain Lawrence event there before the pit game so they had a, a couple of interesting things that i hadn't had they had their collaboration they had Ted lords had a kind of weird collaboration with carvel where they released two beers uh based on the the cookie puss cake one was an ipa which i didn't really get any sense of why they had a collaboration ipa with a ice cream cake company um but then they also had a, a stout for st patrick's day 
uh, which was actually quite good. Pretty, you know, had like the Troco notes that you expect. Um, so that was that was good. I had uh, five bros uh, come from away beer. Uh, apparently, all I had was with like collaborations or theme based beers, which I didn't realize it was based on the era's you know international with the play until after I ordered it. Uh, I had an into the Yukonot uh, from Fifth Hammer, uh, which was delicious. Uh, I had Shadowwork from Grimm. Um, I had a bunch of New York Pale Ales from Ithaca uh, because those were on special. So, yeah, solid, mostly New York-based week, uh, and probably more of that to come on Thursday. Fair enough. Uh, fun fact before we move on to Corey. Uh, I worked at Carvel for a year in high school. I was, I was indeed an, an ice cream baker for an entire year. So you are, you are well aware of the, the ways of the cookie puss. I, I know cookie puss and fudge of the whale. They are, they, they are old, dear friends of mine. What's the preference? <laughs> What's uh, the preference? I mean, there really is. It's just depending on whether or not you prefer uh, an ice cream cone cat or a mostly chocolate whale. And mm. personally, I just made up flavors that I thought we should use, and they never greenlit any of them. But I would just be like messing around in the back, especially during the winter in New York. Nobody goes to the ice cream place. I'm going to make a maybe embarrassing admission. <laughs> I never knew that Turkey Post is a cat. I didn't know what he was. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't really look like a cat. I mean, he's stupid. I mean, he's very stupid. Doesn't look like a cat. Doesn't really look like anything. Like, Fudgy's very clearly a whale. Cookie Puss? Don't know what that is. It's not. <laughs> it's actually just a mutant that's just saying, kill me silently as you. <laughs> as you eat it. In any oh case, uh, Corey. Um, I've been, you know what? I'll be, I'll go, I'll be off the brand here because uh, due to some medication my cardiologist is having me take some blood thinning medication i'm actually off alcohol for until further notice tbd but what i was drinking for that great lakes brewing company in cleveland ohio i'm in northeast ohio uh near youngstown which is halfway between cleveland and pittsburgh great lakes brewing company makes some phenomenal beers and i'm a big fan of their uh, many of their beers christmas sale when it's out obviously it's not that time but dortmund or gold it's a gold lager it's just smooth it's crisp it's nice to have on a hot day on a cold day whenever you need it um but that was probably a month ago quite honestly so i'm i'm on uh, what you would call cold brew iced tea and coffee and water so I'm, I'm i'm on a cleanse right now boys hope you guys don't mind that one all good it happens i should probably take up something similar <laughs> for perhaps one day do like uh, great lakes myself uh their christmas sale is great um i know edmund fitzgerald is uh yeah. is a really good dark beer from them but uh elliot ness is great too yeah they they do some really good stuff um on my end just a few things had uh last of my four pack of boomtown's uh, limelight ipa had the last of my four pack of modern times booming rollers had a modern times dream speaker uh, New England IPA, and had a uh, Brooklyn Brewery Defender IPA. Golden IPA, a little interesting. Wouldn't like write home about it, but it was fine for what it was. Only 5.5% too, so you could drink a few, no problem. Um, actually got like above 65 degrees in LA for the first time in like months, if you can believe it. Um, so pretty much everyone was outside, and I got to enjoy some some beers on the patio and just relax. If anyone's sensing a theme lately, it's that I'm not out that much, and I'm drinking a lot of Six and four packs here at home, so you could probably guess why. You gotta get them while you can. Exactly. All right, why don't we finish up this bracket and then we can talk a little bit about Syracuse's specific matchup with Baylor. Over in the Midwest, that would be the third region. 
Uh, you got UNC as the one. Um, I think UNC could be tested by Utah State, but I feel like that's becoming like a very popular like eight over one like pick. I, I think it could happen, but I think UNC is the best team in this region, but I think they end up losing to Kentucky in the end. Give me UNC and Auburn at the top of this bracket, though. And at the bottom, I I think Seton Hall's got a lot of upset potential, but give me Kentucky over Houston in the other Sweet 16 game, and then I got Kentucky going through to the Final Four. I will go UNC. I will go... I think Washington beats Utah State. Shout out Mike Hopkins, or Coach Hopkins. I'll take UNC over Washington. I'll take uh, Auburn over Kansas. Why are people, like, disrespecting Auburn? I heard a thing where, like, a lot of people are picking New Mexico State as that sexy 12. Uh, contrary to having Murray State on the other side in the West, but I think New Mexico State's getting a lot of run as a 12. I think Auburn is at 5. Ohio State's going to lose by a ton to Iowa State. Uh, Houston, Wofford, Kentucky. In my Sweet 16, uh, I'll go Carolina over – or excuse me, I'm going Auburn over Carolina, actually. I think this is the one one of the upset brackets that I had picked. I just I, – I really like what Auburn does. I, I like the way they shoot. I like the way they run. Um, if there's anybody in this Midwest region that gives Carolina that game, you say it's Kentucky. I think it's Auburn early on. I think they can catch Carolina. Other side, I'm taking Iowa State over Kentucky, actually. So my Elite Eight there is Iowa State and Auburn. I have Iowa State going to the Final Four out of that region. Chiswick Bowl. I like I like trying to pick one like five seed or lower to get to the Final Four, and this is that one for, for me this year. Fair enough. Well, I am going in a very different direction from that. Uh, I am taking UNC <laughs> uh, to advance to the Final Four. Um, I have New Mexico State uh, beating Auburn. Um, I have New Mexico State beating Kansas because I think Kansas is hot trash, and anyone who takes them passes around round of 32 is an idiot, uh, whether that's Auburn or New Mexico State. Uh, I am going UNC over Kentucky with uh, New Mexico State and Houston in the Sweet 16. Uh, and, yeah, so I, that, that is my other ACC team in the Final Four. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it interesting that I picked this bracket, the one that counts to not pick the heels, when I spent most of the offseason picking, well, most of the regular season picking the heels. In any case, you move on to the West, which in my bracket is a whole lot of chaos, at least comparatively. I've got Syracuse getting to the Sweet 16. Uh, I think we catch the Zags sleeping a little bit. Um, I think Gonzaga is better than that, but I, I think that there is... I think that if there's any team that can knock them off, and others have said this already, including Mark Titus over at the Ringer, uh, if any team that can knock them off in this part of the bracket, it's us. I'll take us to get through. I think Florida State knocks off Murray State and then beats us in that Sweet 16 matchup um, that hopefully, well, not hopefully, if it happens, I'll be that down there at the Honda Center um, in Anaheim covering it. On the other side, I've got Buffalo getting through. Um, all the way to the Elite Eight, I think Buffalo beats Texas Tech and then ends up beating Michigan, who gets past Nevada in the uh, sorry, Nevada in the uh, in the round of 32. So I was in the noon slack today looking for reasons to pick against Michigan um, because if you look at some of the uh, like advanced metrics, Michigan is the worst two seed by a uh, considerable amount and really just needed to find a way to not put them in that final four. So I did not. But the trade-off was that it was either Florida State or Buffalo. So I went with Florida State. So that's how you get three out of four ACC teams in the Final Four. I, Being from Ohio, I tried to find every reason to not put Michigan any further than the first round. I do have Syracuse in the Sweet 16 as well, and this is just pure coincidence co- comparing to you guys. 
I got Syracuse over Baylor. I got Gonzaga over 16, and then I got Syracuse beating Gonzaga. I just think Gonzaga was exposed versus St. Mary's. St. Mary's gave Syracuse a blueprint, and Jim Beheim's 2-3. Let's be honest. Jim Beheim's 2-3 zone is difficult to prepare for in the span of, what, a day? So, with that said, I think Syracuse does beat Gonzaga as well get to get to the to get to that Sweet 16. I have Florida State beating uh, Murray State in the round of 32 to get to the Sweet 16. I got Buffalo beating Texas Tech. I have Michigan beating Nevada. And then I have Michigan beating Buffalo. I have Florida State beating Syracuse. And then I have Michigan over Florida State with Unfortunately for me and Ohio and the Wolverines in the Final Four. So my Final Four shakes out as Duke, Virginia, Iowa State, Michigan. That's 1-1, one, 6-2. One, yeah, mine's actually relatively similar here. I, I have I do have Gonzaga beating Syracuse. I'm the disloyal idiot of this podcast. I welcome being wrong. Um, and I do think Syracuse probably has the best chance of any one of those 8-9 lines of pulling an upset here. It wouldn't be that crazy. And we've seen Beheim beat Mark Few. Um, multiple times in the last few years, uh, or the last decade at least, we've beaten Gonzaga twice uh, in the NCAA tournament. So, and, and with that one one and a half day turnaround, it's a very difficult task to beat Syracuse. Uh, we've seen that historically, but I do have the Zags. I think it'll be close either way. Uh, I have Florida State advancing into the Sweet 16 and beating Gonzaga. I think Florida State is just flown so far under the radar, despite the fact that. Like in the last what two or three months, their only losses are to number one seeds. They're they're a really good team, um, and I know any time people think that they lose incredibly early, but I'm going to go with my with my uh, the the eye test here going forward. And you know when they lose to Vermont, then at least at least we're, we're they have good company. I, I have uh, Buffalo beating Texas Tech. I do like Texas Tech, but I, I think Buffalo uh, is just poised to, to to pick up a couple here. And then I have Michigan advancing to the Final Four, beating Florida State in the Elite Eight. So my final four is Duke, Michigan on the left, Tennessee, UNC on the right. All right. Why don't you guys uh, go through who's going to win for each of yours? Dan, why don't you start? And then we'll loop back to me. And uh, in true final, in true March Madness fashion, we're going snake to uh, to wrap it up. Um, I am going with the uh, matchup that I have heard would burn down the ACC forever. Uh, I'm going Duke, UNC in the final. And uh, for the first time ever in the NCAA tournament, those two teams have never faced in the big dance, which is... An unbelievable fact, um, considering how good they have been for so long. Um, I'm going Carolina. I'm going Carolina to pick up a win number three over Duke, uh, beating Zion for the first time this year, considering he, you know the only other game he was in was the ACC tournament game. I think Carolina's just deeper. I think they have more guys, um, and I think if you catch Duke on a bad shooting night, they are beatable. Um, I Kobe White's probably my favorite non-Syracuse player in college basketball. I love watching him play. Um, and I just think I'm really impressed with Carolina. They have like six or seven guys who you can put on the court and they're all, like, super uh, impressive playmakers versus, you know, most of the college teams, including Duke. Like, Duke, you have your, your, your three or four guys, depending on if Pierre Medish is showing up that night. But other than that, they're, they're, they're plugging in pretty, like, serious role players um, versus UNC. I think you can get, like, big, big nights. Uh, Florida State's actually the same way. But you can get a really big night out of, like, their top six or seven. So I, I like them moving forward, and I'll, I'll take the heels to win it all. All right, my left side, I'm going to take Duke over Michigan. This is a battle of my arch nemeses, Duke and Michigan. And then I'll take Virginia over Iowa State on the right side. Duke versus Virginia. I think a lot of people are going to have an ACC national championship 
God, I really don't want to pick him, but I'm gonna I'm going straight chalk. I'll pick Duke to win it all. I just think anytime you have, first of all, Coach K, Hall of Fame coach, call him what you want. Number two, three NBA lottery picks, top five, three of the NBA top five picks or whatever it is, four lottery picks. Whenever you have talent like that and you have a coach like that, you have a staff like that, you're the most primed to win the national championship. And look, if I wanted to go against that grain, maybe I would pick Virginia or Michigan to get there and win it all. But it's so hard to just it's for me, it's hard to pick against Duke right now. Just, you know, five time champions. Coach K has been there, done that. He's seen just about everything. You know, I trust Duke to take care of what a lot of people think is just theirs, and that's to win it all. Yeah, I mean, usually when Duke's expected to win it all is when they don't. Um, but this time, that's also true. Yeah, but, but this time around, I think everyone's expectations are warranted. Give me Duke over Florida State on one side, Virginia over Kentucky on the other, um, in, a, in a mostly unwatchable game. Um, and then I'll take Duke over Virginia in, in a game that that, that I, I I will as a fan hate. Um, but but as a basketball fan, or at least the Syracuse fan, I'll hate. As a basketball fan, I'll, I'll appreciate because I think it'll actually be fun. A lot of theater. It'll probably be Tony Bennett's last game at Virginia because UCLA will back up the truck. And, and yeah, unfortunately, you can celebrate another title with the uh, with the Blue Devils. Let's take a quick break for some sponsor reads, and then we will talk a little bit about Baylor. Um, I know everybody is listening is probably wondering when we're going to get around to that. Well, that time is now. All right, so we're back to talk Syracuse versus Baylor. Things about Baylor, and I know I mentioned them in our article from earlier today, Monday, on the blog. Baylor's best player, Tristan Clark, has not played since early January. Baylor's been all right without him, but certainly not the same team by any means. Um, They have a lot of players who could potentially be injured, including King McClure. They don't really play with any tempo. Their defense is average-ish. Um, Scott Drew hasn't looked great against us in his two meetings, and despite the fact that Baylor does play some zone, um, he's not necessarily great against the zone. In general, they're also not big. Um, tallest player on Baylor is 6'9", and uh, all their rebounding comes from guards. So this looks like a team that Syracuse is well-situated to beat. That said, there's obviously the possibility that um, our bigs get into foul trouble early, we don't rebound as well as we want to, and we go stone cold from the field, which has happened. It's just hasn't happened in the tournament really lately are they gonna wear the neon yellow against syracuse though that's that's one thing i'm fearing um no i'm I'm just joking but i think that this is a really intriguing matchup not just because it's an eight nine and more more or less the eight nines are you know the more competitive games but you mentioned tristan clark being out for the season since january was just shooting lights out what was it 73 percent he was shooting around that mark. You know, Baylor's been fine. That, that said, they've been they've been a good team, and you know, ten and eight in their conference. They beat Iowa State this season. They beat Texas Tech this season. Two really good teams in this tournament. So they have they have what it takes to win games in in a tournament setting like this. But you know, I just don't see how you mentioned the size, and that's the point that I wanted to emphasize, John, is that Syracuse's size. I feel like, and the way that they use their size is unmatched in this kind of scenario where you have Pascal Chukwu who can somewhat run the floor well and is certainly going to be the biggest person on the floor. And then you have players like Merrick Dolajai to stretch the floor. And you have Buddy Beheim to pop threes off the bench. And you have 
Tyus Battle, assuming I I'm, I haven't read today because I've been focused on women's stuff, but assuming Tyus is coming back, correct? Yeah, he's back at practice, so that's going to, that should mean, and Beheim says he's 100%. I feel like even Tyus at, at, at 90% would be, would absolutely be going. I think Tyus at 70% would be going. Um, I think SU needs him on the floor, and I think that we, we would absolutely, again, we'd absolutely see him under any circumstances, but I, I think Tyus is, is healthy enough to go. And, and, and like we were saying you know, on the blog last week, the fact that he didn't go uh, could have actually been a blessing in disguise for some of these guys that needed a little more confidence and, and a little more ability to maybe create on offense without him being the, you know, the, the ball stopper, despite the fact that I don't think he necessarily wanted that role all the time. I also feel like Syracuse is deeper than Baylor, given those the injuries that Baylor has seen. They've had to do some reshuffling. I'm not asking Buddy Bayheim to pop a bunch of threes, but it would be nice if he did. I think Syracuse can stretch the floor against a team like this. They can run, certainly, with them. You know, these are both teams that have shown that they could beat better competition than what they're facing right now. So if there's anything that's going to keep this close, it's that both teams do play their best game. Um, you know, we've seen both teams show highs, and we've seen them show lows this season. So as long as, you know, for Syracuse's sake, as long as they play adequate basketball, they take care of the basketball, and – they show the ability to, to run the floor like they know how to and space it like they know how to, then they should be fine against Baylor. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how much zone Baylor actually goes, considering they will be running out there essentially a four- or five-guard lineup a lot of the time. They they have, with, with, with Clark out, um, their biggest guy in terms of people who play like 20 minutes a game or more is uh, Mario Kegler, who sits seven, so he's about the size of battle, maybe a little taller. Uh, so, I, I mean, I can't imagine going too much 2-3 with that kind of size disadvantage. And if they do, we've seen Buddy Beheim step in against zones all year, and or all ACC season at least, and do some real damage. He obviously had an incredible ACC tournament, uh, so that would be kind of a game changer, I think. Um, also, the fact that, that even though they're very guard-oriented, Baylor's not a great shooting team. They're shooting 34% from three, which isn't bad. But I could see it uh, being very difficult for them to really get the looks uh, that they want, especially if there is no true inside presence to work through. I also, I just think this is a very good matchup for Syracuse. I think um, if we see the Frank Howard that we did in the ACC tournament, which was his best pair of games of the year, and I think kind of the guy we thought we were going to get before the injury heading into the season, and if we see, I don't know if like Tyus being out helps him kind of just take on a mantle and decide that it's going to be his team for a couple games, but if we can see Tyus slide back in with that level of Frank Howard and that level of Buddy Beheim, um, we're going to be pretty dangerous. Uh, and uh, as far as like the nine, the eight, nine seed type teams go, I think Baylor is probably about the best matchup that we could have hoped for. The size disadvantage, if we take advantage of it, could be big. Uh, they're not going to try to run on us. They actually play at a slower pace than us. Um, just a lot of things that play into our hands, um, especially with Clark out. He's like the one guy I think that could have given us a lot of issues and probably gotten us in serious foul trouble. Um, and then I think Makai Mason's also kind of banged up the Yale transfer, who a lot of people remember from Yale's stare of Duke a couple years ago in the tournament. He's uh, they're tied for their leading scorer, and he has been playing, but I think he's also been a bit banged up. Um, and overall, Baylor just is limping into the tournament. They lost their last four. The games weren't exactly convincing either, in terms of like they weren't close losses for the most part. They got blown up by Iowa State. They lost by eight to Kansas. They were closer than Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State's not very good. And they lost by six to Kansas State. Their last one was in February. So I think, you know, if we could have chosen a, a nine seed to face, I think Baylor's probably it. 
Um, that being said, you can't take anything for granted. We know that with the Syracuse team. But if we get the 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 March Syracuse teams that we've become accustomed to for the last couple of years, and we have some of those guys who started to pick up their game in the ACC tournament, I I think that this should be a win. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think you know, Dan, you nailed it. I think maybe VCU could have been a similarly interesting one if only because not because their style plays into what we want but because um vcu is missing uh one of its best players i I think that that is a lot is a game that like a lot of people are just picking ucf um because of that and and i don't blame them um but yeah i think baylor is a team that plays into our style i don't necessarily think drew makes great big game adjustments um he's had some he's plenty like a good amount of success given what he was handed um, you know, after the uh, Dave Bliss situation and all that last decade. And, and he's obviously turned Baylor into something of a capable program that's made a couple Sweet 16s, a couple of Elite 8s. Um, hasn't broken through just yet. But I, I think against the Syracuse team, there's just, like we've all mentioned, too much length. Um, I think Chuku's going to have a really big game um, as long as he can stay out of foul trouble. And if he doesn't, I think we still have, you know, Sidibe and still we have uh, Marek Dolajai. There's a lot we can do. I mean, maybe we see... I, mean, I don't want to play into it, but maybe we end up seeing a little bit of that small ball lineup because I think with I think Dolajai at the five could actually be interesting, but more likely we're going to see us exploit the size uh, advantage for Syracuse and, and have you know Chukwu. It, it seems like he's trying to get more involved in the offense. He just can't against bigger teams. And again, this is where I think that we see him a lot more involved. Maybe he ends up with a surprising line like we saw against. Wake Forest last year in the ACC tournament where he ended up with uh, with like 10 or 12 points. So um, I, I think if Chukwu scores more than six, I think we win. Uh, I think that's a very fair assessment. I I'm, I was looking at just based on eight, nine games, and of the eight, nine seeds, I feel like Syracuse is the easiest route to a Sweet 16, not just because of Gonzaga and familiarity there, but I think with the potential matchup to get to that Sweet 16 point and then once you once you get there, if they would get there, it's Florida State. Assuming you know that's a team Syracuse has seen before, so you know it's March. Anything can happen, of course. But you know when I when it comes down to this matchup versus Baylor, I just think that they're too tall. Syracuse is too big for Baylor. Um, Syracuse has the ability to run. They have the ability to go play you know low to high if they want. And I think, like you said, with Pascal Chukwu, six points, maybe ten points. Uh, he, he certainly has double double potential in this game. You bring in Sadibi off the bench. You get Merrick Dolzhai to face the floor however you want him. I think those three players are going to be really key for him. There's no reason why we can't get a couple of lobs over the top to Pastel, at least early on, and force them to try to shrink back in the zone, but they're not going to have the size to really handle us like that, like uh, some of the ACC teams that play this well do. So, yeah, I mean, anything could happen, but I think you have to like the matchup on paper. Yeah, agreed. And you know what, like, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of over trying to, like, make, you know, Brissette being a force in the paint happen. I think if it happens, great, but I'm not going to bank on it. If we can get, you know, Dolzhai and Chukwu doing anything in there. Um, and to be honest, one thing that's really been a nice wrinkle and I hope we see more of with Battle's return, we've seen Buddy Beheim drive the lane more. And, and I think that's really, you know, taking advantage of defenses being out of position to stop him from driving the lane. They're, they'll defend him on the perimeter, but they're defending him as a shooter. They're not defending him as a potential ball handler beyond the arc. And I think that that's something that SU is going to be able to take even more advantage of. And and, and I, I think we end up seeing Buddy Beheim not be like the, the you know, most outstanding player uh, for, for Syracuse during whatever run they have. But I think he ends up being a, a really, you know, key facilitator and, and, and somebody who, you know, really 
really kind of becomes that wild card for teams if they're if they're focused too much on the bigs they're focused too much on battle yeah i thought it was nice to see him kind of take you know he doesn't have a great handle yet but he can take you if you give him a step he's going to get into the lane and he has that nice little pop jumper where I, he hit a number of those little floaters and those mid-range jumpers that teams gave him um in the acc tournament so definitely another dimension to his game i, I don't think it's ever going to be i don't think he's ever going to be like you know storing 25 points a game on stuff like that but uh, the fact that you can't just like take him out deep and and not worry about him doing anything in the mid range or taking the ball to the hoop at all uh, is pretty valuable. I think we've kind of run against time, but uh, guys, anything else before we uh, depart here? I know there's going to be quite a bit of uh, Syracuse sports between now and the next time we uh, we record. Dan, you first. No, I'm just excited for this weekend. Uh, I think we have uh, as good as chance to make a nice little run as we've had the last couple of years. Uh, obviously. We we came into the into last night feeling better than we've had in a long since 2014 probably and and obviously we've done a lot done in the tournament since and and this year could be the same I'm not gonna bet on us going to the final four or anything but as we've seen you can't rule anything out with this team um, once it gets to March so uh, hopefully we have more games to talk about next week when we uh, rejoin here Dan brings up a good point here in that Syracuse hasn't had a road like this in quite some time where. You can realistically look at the bracket and not think, well, they need to upset them here. They need to do this to pull off an upset. No, this is a realistic path that the Orange have to get to at least the Sweet 16. And assuming they get there, and if Florida State is the team on the other side, I'm not saying that's a toss-up by any stretch, but that's a winnable game that Syracuse could game plan around. So, look, if the Orange have a run in them, you know, I think this is the best route. This is really ideal for Syracuse to have. I'm excited, of course, we mentioned the women's side earlier in the program as well. Being that three seed, being they've seen Mississippi State and Oregon before, they have a legit shot at making some sort of Final Four run themselves. So, yeah, this is a really good time, really good circumstances for both the men's and the women's side. Agreed, agreed. And for those who uh, like gambling, uh, apropos of nothing, (laughs) Syracuse is plus 3,000 to win the West. So, yeah, if you want to waste $5, go for it. (laughs) Anyway. uh, It's, It's more likely than it was in 2016. Too, too true. It's true. In any case, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of basketball for people to watch this weekend. You'll see Syracuse late night on Thursday um, against Baylor, assuming they win that game. And I'm not by any means. Uh, you would then see them probably against Gonzaga in a late-ish Eastern time spot, probably somewhere in the 7-9 to nine range in a round of 32 game. Earlier that day, you're going to see at 1 p.m., I think, is the uh, women's game against Fordham. So... Hopefully we have. Hopefully we record at least three wins, if not a fourth, when the women's team plays their second round game before we record next. And on that note, I'm John. That was Dan and Corey. Uh, you've been listening. To no this- Chris. No, no, no Chris this time. <laughs> <laughs> not Chris enough. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. We'll talk soon for sure. Of course, Corey. Uh, so yeah, that was Corey, Dan. I'm John, and you've been listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast, Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on wherever else you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.